Hello, hello, and welcome to the Risk and Reward podcast, where the best of the best in the insurance industry comes to motivate and educate the future leaders of insurance. I'm Claire Richardson, a senior studying risk management and insurance at the wonderful Butler University, where I am also the president of the Beta Lambda chapter of Gamma Yota Sigma. Today, I'm lucky enough to welcome Dr. William Hold, president and co-founder of the National Alliance for Insurance Education and Research. Dr. Holt has transformed the industry through his commitment and education and relentless hard work. Dr. Holt, it is so great to finally meet you, albeit virtually. Thank you for donating your time today. No, thank you. It's my pleasure. It's always good to meet up-and-coming young ladies like you, and Butler's a fine university, a great faculty, so you made a good choice with Butler. I know you're going to do very well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Would you be able to tell me more about how you got into insurance? Yes, well, it's it's not it uh, wasn't very exciting to tell you the truth, and it uh, sort of an offbeat way. I was a um, the second semester junior at Florida State University, and I was majoring in finance, and I had taken a lot of um, I had had a lot of um, you know um, optional you know courses you know that I hadn't taken yet. I had some choices left, and a professor came up to me that I'd had in one of the risk management classes. And he said, well, we sort of noticed you and you're making good grades. And, uh, you know, uh, how would you like a $450 scholarship? Well, back in those days, now we're talking the early, like, 1961, way before you were born, you know, back in the dark (laughs) ages. And I said, that was a lot of money then. I said, well, boy, that's $450. You know, I said, what do I have to do to get that? says, you have to be an insurance major. I said, I'm in. You got your man. <laughs> because at that time, uh, I worked my way through Florida State University. Just, you know, back in those days, there was no orientation, and your parents didn't take you to schools, and they didn't worry about whether you liked the landscaping or the color of the bricks of the buildings. I got to Florida State on a Greyhound bus, one suitcase, and didn't know a soul. So $450 was a big deal. And then I... <laughs> I worked for a period of time for the campus police collecting traffic fines. And I tell people I was in law enforcement. Sounds good, doesn't it? Better than collecting traffic (laughs) fines. And then I ended up with uh, having a start a little dry cleaning business, picking up dry cleaning door to door. So $450 was was good money. I said, well, I'll I'll do that. I've got the, you know, optional courses to take. I'll take them. And that's what started me off you know, in the, in the insurance business. And more courses I took, the more interest I became. And they continued to help me. Uh, they felt I was worth the effort, so they recommended me for a fellowship at the University of Wisconsin. I got my master's degree and went on to get my Ph.D. And that, that was the whole start of the academic part. So I had no great visions or, or interest in being in education or going on. It just seemed like if people are willing to help me go on, I'm going to stick with it until they throw me out. You know, so. <laughs> well, that's one hell of a story. Yeah. So coming from basically one suitcase to now a doctorate and an absolutely amazing organization, um, I just wanted to congratulate you and the National Alliance on the 50th Thank anniversary and the years of success. So I was wondering what your vision for maybe the next 50 years of the National Alliance is and uh, how you see the organization impacting the future leaders of the insurance industry. Well, I, I take it as a great compliment that you're asking me something 50 years from now. I'm having trouble with 4 <laughs> o'clock this afternoon figuring out what I'm supposed to do. But, but I think we will basically continue on, on the, you know, what our heritage is, if you will, and that's 
providing practical, useful information to people within the industry. I think we will become a lot more integrated into people's businesses rather than simply being a group that somebody takes a course from. There's a lot of interest, and it's more than interest. People are working now to how do we manage education? How do we do career paths for folks? How do we be sure that, that the money's being well spent, that people are taking a program that's going to benefit their careers? So it's a lot more integrated than it was before. Now, we we're just trying to have a good class and provide something useful to people. They become more competitive. Now it's a lot larger, and of course, we have several designations that, you know, very highly specialized. So that, that, that I think, is going to continue. And, and this, you know, learning and gaining knowledge and trying to think a little bit differently, those are the best investments anybody can make. The best investment you can make is in you. And you, as long as you continue to build that investment, because you get all the rewards, right? There's no house. Absolutely. The house never takes a cut out of what you make. And you build on that, and it's very difficult to know where life will take you. I mean, if you had told me when I was in high school that I'd be doing this, I'd tell you you were nuts because I wanted to drive tractors and bulldozers and had signed up for heavy equipment school. And, and then I worked in a factory for a little while in Miami. It's where I grew up, and I said, this is not for me. You know, tell, somebody blows a whistle, and you have to go. You can get coffee, and then they blow the whistle. You have to finish drinking your coffee. So no, 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 not... That's not me. You know, we're, our future is always based on what we can do the best. So we, we understand what we do best and how can we enhance that and, and, and provide more services and be prepared for how the business changes. You know, we're not smart enough to determine exactly where the insurance and risk management business is going, but we can position ourselves to take advantage or to be beneficial when it does change. You know, by Absolutely. not always just, you know, sticking just to one thing, uh, you know, and, and, and dying with it. And you see that all over the country. You know, change yeah, is yeah, good, yeah. but you don't want to change your values. You know, your values, you should be steadfast in, in how you do things. What you do can change. So, that's yeah. that's a really great opportunity for growth there and understanding your your own core values before you move on to more extreme things like well, that. I think so, people people get involved in, in businesses that they don't really know much about. And they right. dive in because you're successful in one and they're not successful in other things. And it, it just the whole the whole business collapses because it got in way over their heads and they get into competition with people that really know what they're doing. That's like getting into a boxing ring with a professional fighter. You don't have much of a chance of winning. Yeah, absolutely. So through, through what you've said so far, your entrepreneurial spirit really shines through and your passion <laughs> for the industry as well. So I was wondering, other than your honorary PhD from mm -hmm. FSU, what are some other prestigious uh, designations and, and recognitions that you have received um, and kind of how your entrepreneurial spirit and passion has driven you to accomplish these things? Well, we've, we, of course we've grown, you know, we, we did things that a lot of people did not like doing. Uh, for example, we were the first ever in almost any area to require an annual update to keep your designation. Nobody had ever done that before us. We were highly criticized for doing it. Uh, you know, people said, oh, this is a racket. First of all, you don't pass everybody. You know, that's a, they're difficult exams. You may have taken some or no people. 
and then and then uh, you know you you have to take the exam over again. You have to take the at the, the beginning was four parts, and then not only do you pass it, now you got to come back every year and do something else. This is a great retirement plan for old Doctor Hole. This is he's just raking it in over here, you know, in, in Austin. <laughs> and then and then we went from a group of people that were sort of out there to a group of people that were visionaries. Because then a lot of people said, oh, continue education is where it's at. You know, we had, our requirements were preceded by years before state continuing education, you know, laws. And we're very serious about it. If an individual doesn't meet the requirement, they lose their designation. We don't suspend it like other groups. They lose it. I mean, you've got to start again. So that helps the business and it sort of defines who you are. And people do get to know you. So I guess other things, uh, the honorary doctorate is, is very unusual. It's a university-wide you know, recognition, not just the College of Business. And it, it rarely is given to people who are not in the arts. Typically, it goes yeah. to people who are in arts and sciences or somebody that was a singer or a poet or something. It rarely goes to an individual that has a PhD, so that's sort of unusual. The second element is that it rarely, it doesn't go to people in business very often. It uh, typically goes, to, again, to people in the arts and politicians. And most of the time when you see an honorary degree given, it's given to somebody who's at the, um, you know, at a um, graduation ceremony that just does something else, was a politician or was in something that was good and worthwhile. So that makes it unusual. The other ones is, of course, I was fortunate they named the Insurance and Risk Management Program Florida State in my name, which is really a big deal to me. And we are the third-ranked, you know, program in the country, which we're very proud of that. Um, for six years in a row, I was named one of the most hundred most powerful people in the insurance industry. I don't know where they got that from, but I didn't turn <laughs> it down. Then I was in the was named one of the twenty-five living legends of the insurance industry, and then uh, of course I was inducted to the College of Business Hall of Fame at Florida State. And one of the oddest ones that I didn't even know happened was. Some magazine took a poll of who people in history thought were the most influential people. And I don't think it turned out to be what they wanted to be. I came in third. And that really amazed me. I said, who? And the, and the number one person, as you remember, Ms. Hank Greenberg, you know, Maurice Greenberg, who's the founder of AIG Insurance. And Absolutely, is, yes. Yeah, he was, I can't remember who number two was, but he was number one. So I didn't feel too bad, you know, about the. <laughs> The National Alliance is not AIG, I can tell you that. So those are just some of the things that are, and that have gotten awards from associations, but very, very kind and and they're very generous, you know, in their in their treatment of me, even though uh, a lot of times we haven't agreed with them. You know, we sort okay. of struck our own course, but we've always tried to, you know, do it properly and try to do it respectfully. But once we made up our minds, we, we were pretty tough cookies about how we wanted to do things and establish the standards. Now, we built a culture that, so when you came to one of our programs, it started at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it stopped at noon, and it started again on time, and and people would be amazed. They said, oh, my God, you're already started. I said, yeah, we said we're going to start at 8. Or they'd go out for lunch and have a couple of drinks and come back at 2.30, and, oh, my God, they started again. That's what, that's what we said. You know, then they realize they're going to have a hard time passing exams with a couple of martinis under their belt. So, But you have to build that culture and build those relationships so people you know, know what to expect. And then 
once they see other people respecting the rules, then they will too, because they're good people. Absolutely. I could not agree more. So I wanted to take a, just a quick break and kind of explain that this episode's contributor giving a voice to the industry is, in fact, the National Alliance oh. um, for Insurance, <laughs> Education, and Research. And so over five decades, the uh, National Alliance has set the standard for quality, practical, continuing education, and for delivering what insurance and risk management practitioners want. Over 150,000 respected professionals worldwide have used and continue to use the programs provided by the National Alliance as a foundation upon which they build their successful careers and businesses. To begin your educational success, head to scic.com for more information on their numerous learning paths. So I have another question for you, Dr. Hold. What was the most difficult decision in your career and why was it so difficult? Well, that's that's uh, relatively easy. It's not a it's not a particularly good story, but it's the truth. Uh, we had a gentleman in New England who had passed uh, all but one of the CIC exams and became uh, very sick with cancer. And he was in the hospital, and he had taken before when he had taken the last last exam, and he and the graders, the people, the exam, the exam results are really secret, but the people who grade them know and. People knew about this gentleman a little bit because of his unusual situation. And he was, I mean, he was dying. There was just no question about it. And they said to me, well, you're going to pass him, aren't you? And I said, well, he didn't pass. He just didn't. Well, well, who's ever going to know? And he is not going to be around for a long time. So what harm could he do if he was a CIC and he really didn't know what he was doing and Etc. Etc. And I said, we just can't do that. Would he want that? Would he want to know that he that he got this designation when he really didn't pass all the exams? Was that something that he would want to, you know, have as his memory? And and that goes back to, you know, what are you going to do the next time something like that comes up? You know, once you do it once, where do you stop? And I've always been struck by the little saying, which I didn't come up with, but, you know, character is something you do is defined by what you do when no one is watching you. you know, character is what you do when nobody's watching. And when is the next time you're going to do it? And if you do it any time, you'll do it all the time. So that was the hardest thing because I really felt horrible. I mean, to this day, and this was 30 years ago, I've never forgotten that. Very difficult to do. And... But I tried to think of everybody else and would they want us to do that? Would all the other people with the designation want us to give it to somebody, even though he's a really a great man and he was ill and it wasn't his fault. But so I said no, and they they were sort of upset with me. I said, we just can't do it. So I think that was really the hardest. Luckily, that only happened once. Yes, but yes, that was absolutely. the hardest hardest thing I ever had to do in the fifty years. So I was sorely tempted to sort of, you know, give in, and but we didn't, so. Yeah, I completely yeah. understand that. Um, so it definitely sounds like your morals and your strengths show through in the business that you do and things, things that you interact with others on. And I was just wondering what some of the most important portions of your legacy are and why is it important to you and the future of the National Alliance to continue those elements? Well, I think when it's all over, you know, when people are 
judged, if you will, or people look at their careers and they say, well, what about old Bill Hold? What? They're not going to really talk about, you know, how many cars you may own or the square footage of your house and what was the size of your bank account. The true measure really is did you ever make a difference in anybody's life? Did you ever make a difference in anybody's life? And and those people, and there are many people, people, excuse me, <clears throat> made a difference in my life. Many people did. So that's what we measure things by. You know, did we make a difference in this person's life? Did we help them be more successful? Did we give them more confidence? And I think that's the most important measure. And if, as long as we can keep on making a difference, a positive difference, uh, that's what we should be doing. And we've got to continually work on ways to do that. And people have to believe that you're fair. People have to believe that when they've earned the designation, they've earned it. And it was, it, it, it was difficult to earn. That's why it's a value. I mean, you know, if you're not going to do that, just give people a diploma at the door. Just like Butler University, you know, the reputation of Butler in the future will be based upon what Claire Richardson does. You're going to form They'll be known through you. If you don't do well, go, here's another, well, here's another failure must have come from Butler because everybody else that comes from Butler isn't doing well. And, of course, just the opposite happens when people do well. So they are a reflection of us. Uh, everybody who has a designation reflects us, and we reflect them, and we owe them responsibility to have the best possible programs and give them the best possible value for their time and for their money because that's really two of the most valuable assets. Absolutely. I uh, can attest to the difficulty of the courses and, and the actual value that comes through them. I've begun my CISR designation. Oh, good, and so, good. yeah, it's a great opportunity. Um, one of my last questions today is what advice you would give to college students and even the future leaders of the risk and insurance industry and as they start their careers? Well, I, I, uh, I think that one of the, it's, uh, it's a little amorphous to say it, but it's true. I think you have to be the, an uncommon person. You never want to be average. Now, there's a big difference between being uncommon and weird. Now, weird is not good. <laughs> But uncommon, you want to be able to distinguish yourself from other people. And you do that by one of the ways is listening to what other people say. It's not always talking and not always uh, waiting to, you know, give them your response, but listening to what they say and, and doing the absolute best you can. Never having to look back and say, gee whiz, you know, if I hadn't drunk so much the other night or I didn't do this, I would have done better in that exam. And, and it's too late then. It's too late, right? So Absolutely. do the best you can. And when you look in the mirror, you can honestly say, I did the best I could. I worked the hardest I knew how to work on this. And if it didn't work, so be it. Right. But to look back, because we can't allow, No, you should never allow yourself to be defined by the mistakes of the past. You always want to be defined by the corrective actions you took, right? Every one Absolutely. of us makes a lot of mistakes. And we don't want to be judged. And in society today, we're, we're doing that. We don't want to be judged by the last mistake you made, do you? But that's how we do things these days. The football career is judged by the, the not that you caught 400 passes, but you dropped the last three and you lost the game. 
right? or that you made these last mistakes. You want to you know, have your life as a, you know, a, a significant series of events, and you want to judge for all the events, not just the last one or two where you, you may have mucked it up. So th- I think that's very important. And another item I think is very important is as you work through life and work with people, try to build the prestige of the people who work around you, especially if you get in a leadership position, because the more important they are, the more important you are. And if you try to build a big business, you cannot do it all yourself. You have to have people around you that support you, and and you want every every customer that you have thinks they're important, and they want to deal with important people. So if you have somebody working with you, and you say, well, let me have you talk to Edna the Bozo, I don't want to talk to Edna the Bozo. I want to talk to Edna the really smart person that knows as much as Dr. Hull does. And when it turns out that Edna does or Eddie does or Bill does, then you look and you say, isn't he a great person? He hires really good people, doesn't he? Good man. So building prestige for the people uh, that you work with, I think, is very important. And lastly, you know, we live in a digital world, but you can't digitize trust, you can't digitize honesty, and you can't digitize character. And we can't ever forget that the most important relationship we have is the human relationship. And if you have strong relationships with other people, you will be successful. But it takes years to do that. It doesn't happen overnight. Well, that is some really amazing advice for the future leaders, and I thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to thank you again for giving your time and expertise today, Dr. Hold. Okay, well, thank you very much. Take care now. Thank you. Remember to keep a lookout for additional content from Risk and Reward preparing soon. We will announce new episodes through our Instagram at GIS Butler, Butler's Gamma Yoda Sigma LinkedIn page, and on your podcatchers. Always continue discovering new interests, and we will see you soon.